The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So much TV and streaming to talk to Joe, Shay and Elaine Burke about. Elaine, you were in Liverpool for the weekend, as you told us you would be last week. Did Eurovision live up to the expectations for you? Liverpool delivered. It was fantastic. Uh, the place was hopping. People were loving all of the songs, not just the winner. It was just an amazing event. It was really, really fantastic to be there. What do you make of the hosting of it? Uh, I actually thought they were amazing. I thought Hannah and Alicia and Julia were doing a stormer during the semi-finals during the week. Um, and Graham, I thought, would really lift it. But I think because he was running between the two jobs, doing commentary and then going to the front of stage, I, I nearly missed him. Um, but Hannah was still delivering. Julia was still amazing. And Alicia was still doing some great work as well. So I actually think the three women really stood out the most, even though Graham is like a Eurovision legend. And then the actual final itself. I mean, were the songs good this year? Were Ireland robbed by not being in the final or when you saw the final, did you realise actually Ireland did not deserve to be in it? I think if anyone watched the final, they'd see how high that standard is now to be in the Eurovision final and to win as well. Like there were some amazing songs. A lot of musicians took the brief from Beyonce this year that house music is in and and club bangers are it. Um, And some of them just came out with great ballads as well. There was a great mix of songs and even the two top songs couldn't be more different, but both of them were very popular and very well received. Okay. Joe Shea though, but was it a stitch up for Sweden to win it so that it goes back to Stockholm next year for the 50th anniversary of ABBA winning with Waterloo? Yeah, this is just, the, this is the way we live today. You can't have a simple Eurovision win without a mad <laughs> conspiracy theory taking off around it. So here's the big conspiracy theory. It's 50, next year, it's 50 years since ABBA won with Waterloo. And the Eurovision organisers wanted it to be in Sweden so that ABBA could reform and we have the greatest moment in Eurovision history when ABBA, for the first time in nearly 40 years, play live together on stage at the Eurovision in Sweden. ABBA are their avatars? Uh, well, ABBA themselves. <laughs> we, know, we already know their avatars have gone out on tour uh, and have been on tour. Now, first of all, ABBA have consistently said they will never physically play together ever again on stage. So that, that kind of knocks it up. But secondly, how anybody thinks that any, you know that any shady organisation could have any control over an event as crazy and as you know anarchic and as mad and, and as popular as Eurovision is it's just it's just you know it's beyond the beyonds. You know, but it, it's funny that people needed to come up with a conspiracy theory around this. Okay, well, you see, I suppose conspiracy theories start because of what happened last night at the BAFTAs when we got to the awards and uh, Mm. the brilliant Bad Sisters won a couple of awards and the brilliant Derry Girls won awards as well. So let's hear, though, what Siobhan McSweeney said in her acceptance speech after winning, followed by what the BBC actually broadcast on its highlight show last night. To my brother, to my mother and father who aren't here, but I'm going to be quick because it has to be to the people of Derry. Thank you for taking me into your hearts and your living rooms. I am daily impressed with how ye encompass the spirit of compromise and resilience despite the indignities, ignorance and stupidity of your so-called leaders in Dublin, Stormont and Westminster. In the words, in the words of my beloved sister Michael, it's time they started to wise up. To my brother, to my mother and father who aren't in here but I'm going to be quick because it has to be to the people of Derry thank you for taking me into your hearts and your living rooms thank you so much well, Joe Shea, that was some edit wasn't it? yeah it was it was and you know what the BBC have been kind of playing all day now they've been saying well 
we had to cut it down. We had to cut a lot of the speeches down because we're basically getting a, a three-hour event into a two-hour uh, TV program. And therefore, we just, it just happened to be that we just happened to cut that bit out of Siobhan's McSweeney's speech, which, you know, it's a, bit, it's, it's a huge coincidence if it was just, just, you know, an editor told to take 10 seconds out of the speech because that was one of the few controversial things that was said all night. And obviously the BBC these days is very worried about anybody on the BBC saying anything even remotely controversial. We went through practically an international incident with Gary Lineker recently. It just seems a bit of a coincidence that that's the bit that got dropped from, from, from that speech and from from a range of speeches around dairy girls. Of course, that said, it seems to have had a Streisand effect, Elaine, doesn't it? Yeah. Because all it's done, Elaine, is bring attention to the fact of the edit. Exactly. I think Siobhan's speech was going to be talked about no matter what because you can still see the full thing unedited on the BAFTA YouTube channel and that's the segment that has been trending Although online. Although it's also been edited on the iPlayer, BBC iPlayer. iPlayer, yeah. So anything that BBC is putting out there is edited and they've said they'd cut it for time but to cut such the, the best line in the speech um, that got such a rapturous response, you can hear that clumsy cut from just like uh, tanking people in Derry and being in their living rooms and then it gets a rapturous applause and it doesn't make any sense when you hear it that way because I heard it that way first and then I heard the, the real version and it made sense in the real version. So it's a clumsy edit and it's a strange edit so it does look very purposeful and if they say they could have her balance I mean she she pulled all governments involved across yeah. the calls there so she was equally disparaging for all three of them so it is balanced I guess. And I suspect Joe that if they hadn't been edited very few people would have passed comment about it afterwards no. it would have been largely ignored. It would have been and you know it wasn't exactly like, and she's outspoken and, and more power to her because if you follow her on social media she has got views and she's not afraid to express them and that's great but it wasn't the most controversial thing to say in the world considering that you know Stormont is being suspended for, for two years they don't have a government in the north so it, it does seem like a strange one but it does seem like the, the BBC is just running scared of any possible controversy at the moment. I believe though as well Joe that the lawyers and PR experts are in on the This Morning programme on ITV because of a so-called called Feud Between yeah. Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield. What is going on? What's going on is Christmas for the tabloids, basically, is what's going on. This is like, this is, this is heaven for, for the gossip, for the, for the checkout magazines, for the red tops, because the, they're huge stars and they have been, of course, very controversial already recently with Q-Gate when they were accused of jumping to Q to get in to, uh, you know, to pay their respects to the, to the late Queen. It seems that Philip Schofield, who Holly Willoughby, you know, they're, they're on-screen um, husband and wife, basically. They're partners on, on the, the biggest rated by far morning show on, on British TV. They have fallen out. Apparently, the, the, the straw that broke their relationship was under strain for a long time. But Philip Schofield's brother um, was uh, convicted of very serious uh, charges uh, recently. And Holly Willoughby told friends that he never gave her a heads up about that, didn't say it was coming. He took time off from work. It was all very quiet and then the verdicts came down. So they both appear to have lawyered up, or at least he has. And he's also hired a fairly heavyweight um, PR guy to kind of fight his corner and get his message out there. It's a big mess and it's a big problem for the biggest show on morning TV in the UK. Yeah, and we should say that his brother faced uh, serious uh, child sex offences of which he was found guilty. And he's going to be sentenced next week as well, which I suppose Elaine then is going to ratchet up the pressure on this presenting couple. Yeah, and it's really 
it's actually kind of strange because you would think that that would be what would be garnering the headlines here, that the brother of this uh, noted morning celebrity that is kind of meant to be like a friendly face that everyone really enjoys, that he has been, uh, he's about to be sentenced for these very, very uh, awful charges. But that's not the story. What people are writing about is the relationship between Phil and Holly and what it's done to that. So it's maybe there's a tactic there to try and divert attention away from the serious conversation and turn it into this kind of frothy one about their relationship breaking down. But it also seems to be that, again, the Streisand effect, Philip Schofield issuing a press release about their strained relationship, kind of trying to assert that there's nothing wrong here, nothing to see here, has drawn more attention to it. And that ITV bosses are also not happy that he he did that because they apparently weren't aware that he was releasing that. And apparently Joe's contract is nearly up, so this is not good timing for him, is it? It's not. And do you know what? There's a feeling and reading between the lines, there seems to be a feeling that maybe ITV bosses are going, he's too much trouble at this stage. There's been too many controversies. They like Holly Willoughby. Apparently, he actually got her the job uh, originally to just put Holly Willoughby forward and said we should hire her. But it looks like she's also been putting pressure on ITV bosses saying, what's going to happen next? Do I need to stay here? You know, is he going? What's happening? So it's, it's a huge mess. Okay, Picks of the Week. You have an interesting one for us, Elaine, and I want to play a trailer from it because this is on primetime on RT and this is a programme that's been done on AI. The age of artificial intelligence is upon us. I am an artificial intelligence avatar. Could it destroy the economy or supercharge it? This is the fourth industrial revolution. This is massive change. Could it solve humanity's biggest problems or tear society apart? Everything that we believe with all our senses is suddenly up for grabs. Primetime looks at the risk and the potential benefits it could offer future generations. Tuesday, 9.35, RTE 1. Elaine, tell us more about this. So, yeah, I really hope that the actual broadcast is more grounded than that trailer because obviously the trailer is going to issue all the superlatives and hyperbole and the scaremongering that we're seeing and all the headlines around AI at the moment. Um, But there's a lot to talk about here and there's a lot to talk about if we kind of put that stuff to the side. Let's stop freaking out and actually look at what this technology is what it does and educate people about it because I think there's a big gap there in that this is a technology that people are definitely going to be using in a lot of workplaces and soon. Already are. Already are in many as well and I don't think the understanding of what it does is really there and the people who are co-opting the understanding of it and sharing what it does are the people who produce it and sell it and I don't think that's good for us to just kind of take their lead on that. I think there may be a certain degree of well I wouldn't say scepticism but uh, maybe that there's a bit of fear in media, particularly, particularly there was an incident on Friday's programme here on The Last Word. We were discussing an article in the Irish Times, which in good faith we believe to be genuine, which was uh, an article that had been written about the use of fake tan. And while we were on air, we discovered it had been withdrawn by the Irish Times under suspicion that it was AI generated and that effectively the newspaper had been duped, something that it has essentially confirmed since. And I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of, Elaine. Yeah, and I do think that what we're learning now is basically it's becoming mainstream what's being capable here. Um, because it's not that we couldn't fake an identity online before we could, but now you can even fake a picture um, and f- fake an entire like look and feel of a person. You could actually, uh, and they didn't do this, but what you could actually do is actually fake an entire person if you had a good deep fake technology. And, and the more people are aware of that and the more sceptical they are of the media that they consume in understanding that I think is a good thing. So I think important lessons are learned for everyone with what happened over the weekend and that story. And I hope this story, uh, this um, show on RT kind of does help with that understanding and getting people to 
maybe uh, be a bit even more sceptical of what they find online if it's not from a reputable source. Now, unfortunately, in this case, it was from a reputable source and there's a lot of questions in terms of media that we need to answer in our education and our learning on this as well. See, Joel, wonder, are we in the business going to have to do even more fact-checking, but yeah. could it be at a time when there's a temptation to hand the fact-checking over to AI? Yeah, but that's exactly, here's the problem. The, the, the people in media, editors, people are trying to get, it's so fast-paced now, you just got need, you need to get the content out there, you need to get up, it's a constant battle. So you have less and less time to check things at a time when you should be spending more and more time doing it. It's a real, real big problem for the media. Okay, what's your pick of the week, please, John? <laughs> Something very different. Um, Nick Broomfield, the great documentary maker, he's, he's mad about music. He's made Kurt, Kurt and Courtney about Nirvana. He's made, he's made a documentary about Leonard Cohen, about Biggie and Tupac, about Whitney Houston. Tonight on BBC Two, 9pm, The Stones and Brian Jones. It's Nick Broomfield, who's a very interesting, controversial Kind of comes at things from weird angles about Brian Jones, the, 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 the heart and soul of the Rolling Stones, one of the great kind of genius songwriters of the 60s, who unfortunately died at 27 years of age in very sad circumstances and very, you know, in strange circumstances as well. So it's a look at the life of Brian Jones. And also it's going to be, if you're into music, if you're into the 60s, if you're into that kind of thing, you're going to love it, I'd say. It's the Stones and Brian Jones, tonight, 9 p.m., BBC Two. I hope I like it as much as the last one you recommended. Boom Boom Becker turned out oh, to be yeah. your brilliant. Was brilliant. Both parts brilliant. of it. Loved it. I've been recommending yeah. it to everybody since. Okay, thank you very much, Joe Shea and Elaine Burke. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30. Today.